Our scripture reading this morning is in the book of Luke. We're going to read two verses today, two passages today. The first is Luke 13, beginning in verse 10 and going to verse 17. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and there was a woman who had had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. Our second reading is in chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. You may be seated. All right. Good morning, guys. Welcome to Stonehouse. I'm going to scoot a little bit. Awesome. My name is Derek. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are in the book of Luke, uh, looking in particular at the uh, unique content of Luke, that is, the things in Luke that are not in the other Gospels. Um, And today we're kind of doubling up on two passages that Luke highlights, Um, and the reason that we're doubling up is because um, they touch on the Sabbath, Um, and so we're just going to clump them together and talk about what Jesus is doing in these two events that Nathan just read, Um, and uh, just evaluate our own hearts in light of these situations, Um, and then we're going to take a good, hard look at Sabbath rest. Um, And I'm going to give you some really practical stuff today toward the end of the sermon. So uh, if you're a note taker, uh, be ready for some of that. I wanted to mention our city groups are studying gospel-centered life at work. Uh, We've got two or three or four of these books available still. So if you are attending city group and have not yet grabbed a book to put your name in, please feel free to grab one of those um, and make it yours. Um, I think most of the groups are through week two so far. So it would be advantageous to read like the first two uh, weeks or the first two lessons of that study, uh, really helpful in far, as far as understanding um, how it is that, that the gospel applies to our work. So really good study. I uh, encourage you to take a look at it. Um, real quick, I, uh, uh, my wife and I have a friend here. She's kind of a health provider um, in St. Pete, and um, she talks to us about some of the health rhythms in our, life, in our lives uh, or the lack thereof. Um, and, and one thing that she has is just kind of a... Of a uh, an icon, so to say, just something that, that helps us remember uh, what we're doing with our health is uh, she asks us about the saber-toothed tiger in our life. And she's an anthropologist. She really likes the study of um, human history, um, not a follower of Jesus, uh, just really kind of looks at the world a little different uh, than we would, but in a lot of ways has a lot of wisdom uh, to offer us. And so when she talks about the saber-toothed tiger, uh, what she's referring to is the fact that, um, uh, that cavemen and me have no physical difference um, in the way that we respond to stressful situations. There is literally no distinction between a caveman being scared for his life because of the presence of a saber-toothed tiger and me responding to the sound of my phone going off. Okay? There is no difference. And here's how, right? If you're a caveman, there are very few things that can cause a complete interruption to your life so that you have to absolutely change everything about what you're doing. One of those things is a saber-toothed tiger. If suddenly a saber-toothed tiger is present, you have to change what you're doing. 
You have to put out the fire, cover the food, grab the kids, and run for the hills, right? Your response is fight or flight. You have a stress response to the saber-toothed tiger because if you don't respond, you're going to die, right? And the body, because of God's glorious design of how he's made us, the body does particular things to enhance our response to the saber-toothed tiger, right? Our adrenal glands fire, right? Our eyes get more intense and focused. Our ears perk up. We can, well, dogs do that. Ours just kind of stay there. But the sense perks up, right? All of a sudden, all of our muscles get tense and tight, right? All those fabulous sinews that you've been toning up at the gym, right? They get, like, you're just get, you're ready. You're ready for action, either to, to take down the saber-toothed tiger with the club, or like I said, put out the fire, cover the food, grab the kids, and run for the hills, right? Well, as time has gone on, and technology has come into our lives, and situations have changed, and so on and so forth, our physical response to stress has actually not changed whatsoever, in comparison to the caveman and the saber-toothed tiger, right? So here's an example. On my phone, I've used the fabulous technology of uh, letting the sound that goes off by the phone tell me who it is that's contacting me, okay? So I've got a particular ringtone and text tone for my family, a particular ringtone and text tone for my lovely wife, who can interrupt me at any point in time, uh, and then uh, ringtone, text tone for the rest of y'all, <laughs> right? Um, I respond differently to those different text tones and ringtones, right? In 2017, from January until October, my father was battling cancer. When I got the ringtone, text tone from my mom, the saber-toothed tiger was in the room. What's the test result? His dad in the hospital again. Is the cancer shrinking or growing? Did they get the finances to buy the $10,000 pills? Right? The saber-toothed tiger would walk into the room, no matter what I was doing, when the family version text tone went off. Right? On the rare, super rare, very slim chance occasion where me and my wife are at some sort of disagreement, right? In some sort of a tense day or week of life, when her text tone or ringtone goes off, the saber-toothed tiger walks in the room, right? It's very rare, very rare, right? So, like, I have a pocket full of saber-toothed tigers, and they're just walking around the world with me, and the, 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 the weight of that on my life, the adrenal glands firing off, the tense responses to so many things that happen in my life are at a fury and I would guess that in your life, they are as well. And God, in his supreme wisdom, in the knowledge of how he's made us and constructed us and built us and wants us to know and enjoy him, has said, turn off the saber-toothed tiger and rest. I love you. I care for you. I know you. I want you to know me and to know life. And so, therefore, you need to time out. You need to know that there's a day where the tiger won't walk in the room. You need to have a week occasionally where the tiger will not run in the room. This is called Sabbath rest. And God graciously commanded us to rest on the Sabbath. Why? Because it is the best flourishing for humanity. It is an imaging of God that he himself, though he has never needed to sleep, never needed to slumber, he does not rest or grow weary. He himself Sabbath. He rested after six days of work in creation to set a pattern, not just for what he made, but for who he made so that we can follow him in that reality, right? And what we have in these passages is a group of men who have taken the command for Sabbath and they have added to it 39 additional laws to what Moses commanded in both Exodus and Deuteronomy. They've added 39 additional laws and then they have excelled in the keeping of these laws to the point where they've established themselves as superior religious practic practicers, right? And then used that superiority to squash and push down the community around them, right? And Jesus 
thankfully, because he's Jesus and not me, he didn't punch the guy. He just called him out and said, you guys are hypocrites the way you're treating this Sabbath. Right? It does not remove that God has graciously given us Sabbath, but it does remove the way that they self-righteously treated the Sabbath. And so, for, first off, we've got to watch as Jesus confronts this rigid and oppressive religion, and then we need to evaluate our own hearts in light of that situation, and then finally we're going to talk about Sabbath, because y'all, we need it. And I can't believe I just said y'all. It's not a word. It's not, it's not a word. So I'm going to read Luke 13, 14 to 17, part of what Nathan read, and then uh, we're going to dig in. So Jesus comes. He's in the synagogue. This is his normal practice. He's teaching there. Uh, There's a woman there for 18 years, has been bent over. Uh, Side note, number one, this healing uh, or this sickness is attributed to a demon, okay? Uh, many, many, many other places in the Gospels, sickness is not attributed to demons. Uh, and so to say sickness is always demon-involved is incorrect. Okay? If anybody's ever taught you that, they're just simply wrong. They're, they're disagreeing with the Bible. Sometimes, yes, there's demonic forces involved. Um, all the time, no. In this situation, yes. We know why. The very next thing that we're going to read in Luke 14, the man, no mention of a demon. He's just got dropsy, okay? So um, so Jesus heals her. She's been oppressed for 18 years, and in one moment, Jesus heals her. That's the power of Jesus over demons and over physical sickness, just in a moment. It's gone, which is glorious, right? So he lays his hands on her. She's healed, and verse 14, but the ruler of the synagogue, a real swell guy, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, very calmly, I'm sure. There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Ugh. Then the Lord answered him, you hypocrites. And there's an exclamation point. Jesus yells. Make no mistake. Jesus yells at the religious self-righteous jerks. You hypocrites. Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, your uh, good design for this world is glorious and uh, wonderful to behold. Um, we understand that we, um, that others, uh, that this world, uh, humanity in general, we have, we have fractured the good gifts that you have given us, life, uh, relationships, work, um, your gospel even. God, we, we, we are prone to wander uh, in regards to the commands you've laid out for our lives. We are uh, often forgetful of the real meaning behind how you've uh, commanded us and desire us to live. Um, and so I, t- I pray today in light of uh, the, the good gift of Sabbath um, that we would understand our tendency um, to take things by uh, religion and twist them uh, and use them to, to, uh, um, to oppress ourselves or others and, and how that's just such a, a broken and sinful practice. Um, and then more than that, God, would you lead us not just to saying, well, then Sabbath is nothing. No, may, may you lead us, God, into a, just a really healthy uh, grasp on what we need uh, as creatures, uh, what we need as created beings, because we are not creators. We are not all-powerful. We are not uh, self-sufficient, um, though we are prone to think Uh, that we are. So God, would you set our minds rightly today and help us to gaze on the glory of the gospel, um, especially because it is our ultimate Sabbath, our great rest that is here and is yet to come. Uh, So help us in these moments by your spirit that we might might do more than just simply hear, uh, but that we would listen um, and uh, that our hearts would be pricked, challenged, and changed um, as we behold Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. 
So one of the big issues going on here with this hypocritical confrontation is that there's a double standard uh, in these religious men's lives. Um, and, and so Jesus points that double standard out, but even more so points out just the complete misread of what God's law in general and God's law of Sabbath in specific um, are given to people for. Um, the ruler of this synagogue is indignant that this woman gets healed on the Sabbath, right? He's not just squirming in the corner and uncomfortable. He's boldly upset at the situation that happens here, right? And so this law that he has seen as something that ought to be kept at all costs, right? He's following a, a, a later tradition that has added 39 extra laws onto just the Sabbath rest. So things like you can't tie or untie a knot, uh, you can't make a fire. You can't journey over to your neighbors. Like, that's too far. That's work. You can't write two letters. Not one letter, apparently, but two letters. Don't get it. You can't erase something to make yourself ready to write two letters. Like, are you kidding? Like, just insane, like, little nitpicky laws that these people have added to the command to Sabbath, and in, in one way, they've added them because they know that they're really clear and they can get it, and then therefore they can totally fulfill the law, right? Completely missing the fact that we can never completely fulfill the law. Not a single one of us has ever fulfilled the law. And so we miss that, and we, we have to add all these little things. And then more so than just simply adding it so that they could fulfill the law, then they use that as judgment on others, right? And they use that as a position of arrogance, and they stand there uh, in demand of others things that really they themselves aren't truly even following. And that's what Jesus points out here in a deep and impactful way. Um, what they didn't understand is that this law was never given to them or to Israel um, to be upheld at the expense of mercy, right? That Jesus here shows us that mercy triumphs this judgment that this man passes on, not just this woman, this crowd. And then just the crazy uh, reality that, that more than likely these guys are ignoring the Sabbath laws in order to water or heal or rescue their own animals, right? They're, they're willing to, to set aside that law so long as it comes to self-preservation, um, but they're not willing to set aside that law so long as it comes to the healing and restoration of another, hum, of, of another human being. Um, which is just absolutely hypocritical. And so they don't really even honor the heart of the law. Um, and then they, they stand in this place with this just arrogant, judgmental stance, uh, pronouncing that everybody else has failed to do what they've been able to do, right? I mean, can you imagine the oppressiveness of this scene, right? Like, everybody is loving uh, what Jesus is doing. News is spreading about him. He's, uh, we talked about this last week. He's on his journey kind of from town to town, heading toward Jerusalem. Uh, disciples are coming ahead of him into the villages to prepare the way to let people know, hey, you know, Jesus is coming. This is a foretaste of the kingdom. And there's excitement surrounding all this. And then this woman gets healed at church, basically. And the pastor of the church stands up and is like, there's six whole days, people, for you to get healed. Why not get healed then? I don't get it. You're supposed, this is Sabbath. You know, I mean, it's just, it's bonkers, right? And like, just, you can feel just the tension of the room. This poor woman, right, for 18 years has longed to be restored. And now all of a sudden she's told she did it wrong. You got healed on the wrong day, lady. You know, just brutal oppression. Right? And we always talk about this at Stonehouse. We have to pause and recognize that that it, religious oppression, that fear that comes because of religious mistreatment and all this thing, it is not a thing of the past. It is a thing of the present. And so we must be aware that people in our city, your neighbors, your coworkers, your classmates, your friends, have encountered moments where they've seen people pursue healing and then have listened as a religious man arrogantly says, this isn't the place for healing. Right? I'm paraphrasing. But it happens. It's happened all over the place. People are afraid. And it makes sense. Because we're jerks. Right? And any preacher that would ever proclaim, I'm not this guy, is a fool. 
because I am this guy too. Lord, have mercy on me that I would ever pronounce something like that. Right? There's real religious oppression that happens, and Jesus stands against it. Right? The ruler shames this woman and discourages her from coming to Jesus. She places a giant obstacle, or he places a giant obstacle between broken people and their healing God. Right? And Jesus will have nothing to do with it. And we've got to apply this to ourselves, right? If my view of Jesus, right, if my understanding of the Bible, if my religion moves me to yelling at broken people, I'm doing it wrong, okay? And we know all about the yelling at broken people. All we got to do is type a few little things in a search browser or just flip an app on our phone, and we're listening to religion, whether it's Christianity, whether it's naturalism, whether it's a right or a left or a middle or whoever is doing the yelling, we're doing this, we're seeing this, we're living in a world where these views that we hold strongly are giving us reason and excuse to scream at people. And Jesus stands fiercely against that posture. You are not standing next to Jesus if you're angry. Okay? Or better yet, he's not standing next to you. So please, turn aside from that kind of religious response. Repent and seek the mercy of Jesus. Because religion and the gospel lead to two very different places. Right? Religion saying, this is what you do, this is how I do it. I do it right and everyone else should do it like me. That kind of religious stance leads to anger toward those who don't follow God's law like you. Right? <laughs> Dismissal. Those stupid, dumb people don't know what I know. Whoa. They don't behave like I behave. Whoa. Right? Just this demonization of anyone who isn't like you. It's, that all stems from this self righteous idea that I'm keeping religion pure and it's my job to scare anybody else off, right? It's just brutal where religion leads us. The gospel leads us in a completely different direction. The gospel leads us towards tenderness, right? Like Jesus here in this moment, the gospel leads us toward mercy. It leads us towards taking the time to walk a mile in their shoes, right? That's the kind of posture that the gospel will lead us to, to seek understanding of the history of a person, to know why it is that they're behaving in the way that they're behaving, to know why it is that they're convinced of the things that they're convinced of, to know why it is they feel so strongly about the things they feel so strongly about. If you take the time, if you investigate, if you seek to find that out, I would dare say in most cases what you're going to find deep inside are wounds. Wounds. And a lot of them religious right? And so if we're just screaming all the time, what are, we're, we're digging knives into scars and reopening wounds and causing people to have all of the justification to continue to run in the opposite direction of Jesus. We're standing in front of Jesus with these giant obstacles saying, come and get your healing on another day. And the gospel would lead us to lay that down, to repent, to learn what it means to overlook offenses, to have compassion, to listen and seek understanding, and to start looking at the world without our self-righteous goggles on because we are wearing them so often. One of the things for me that was most disappointing about losing my dad uh, it was 16 months on Friday this last week, this week, um, was the fact that he was growing tender, so tender, right? My dad was 67, 68 when he died. And I mean, this is, I'm not trying to bag my dad, shame him or anything like that, but he was pretty, pretty angry as a young man. Uh, me and my brothers, quite a few bumps from him. Um, not saying don't discipline your children, but there was some unnecessary stuff in there. He had a temper, you know. 
when I look at his history, I understand where it came from, right? And so, in the years that have gone by, there's been some awakening to, okay, that I get it, right? But in the last, I don't even know, 10, 15 years or something, the guy just went soft, you know? And some people credit Kaylee, my niece, which, I mean, she's amazing, um, but, and it's part of it, for sure. Um, but Jesus kept getting a hold of this man's heart more and more and more over the years. Um, and the more I speak with wise, older, seasoned men, the more I realize that is the case when Jesus is active in the life of a believing man, that they soften. Right? You ladies, the soften thing, y'all get it, right? I said, y'all again! I quit. Um, but men, especially us young guys, we're not soft. We're not slow to judgment. We're not tender-hearted. We're not very good at living the opposite of this ruler of the synagogue. And so it's been, it's been a real question to me. I'm like, Jesus, you've been, you were doing so much in my dad. Why'd you have to take him away? The world could have watched, you know, um, because I was enjoying it. I even saw my brothers just acknowledging it in their own ways. Um, and I just, I just love to celebrate that God does that as we continue to yield our lives to him. He softens us. He tenderizes us. And so may we see those things um, as we encounter the grace of God. So I think just in light of this synagogue ruler, who's probably a Pharisee, maybe, um, we just have to, we have to measure ourselves, right? We don't take these moments to look outside and say, okay, where are all the Pharisees out there and what are they doing wrong, right? We take these moments to evaluate our own heart and to say, all right, in my interactions with people, what kind of vibe are they getting? Are they getting a sense that they're not doing enough to make God happy? Are they getting a sense that they can't approach Jesus yet in the state that they're in? Are they getting the sense that God will not allow certain types of people to come and explore faith? Or, like Jesus, are they getting the idea that after 18 years, it's finally open for them? The door is finally open for them to approach a healing God. For them to come and bring their wounds before God in a vulnerable way and, and receive a welcome, right? Because in a lot of ways, we're the only Jesus people see. So what type of Jesus are they seeing? Are they encouraged to keep drawing near? Or are those wounds getting deeper, right? Because in some ways, we're continuing to do it. And we've got to gauge that. We've got to be careful. And so we just need to beg Jesus who stepped into this world without harshness, right? Who stepped in to take judgment. Who stepped in to understand brokenness. May he lead us toward that same thing. Because really, ultimately, mercy triumphs over judgment. Luke 14, 3-6, this is the other story in the situation. Jesus has another situation with somebody who is ill, this time he's at the home of a Pharisee. Uh, in verse 3 it says, Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remain silent, right? They're stuck. Master Jesus comes in. They're stuck. They can't answer yes. They can't answer no. They just shut up. They know that they're beat here. And then Jesus takes the man, he heals him, and he sends him away in verse 5. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. So Jesus uses a lesser to greater kind of parable illustration here. He says, If the one is true, how much more so is the other true? Right? If when your son is hurting, you heal him, how much more so when God's sons are hurting, he heals them? Right? How much more so is God prone to mercy than even you are, sinful men? Right? And Jesus just lays it on the line here and says there is mercy here. There is mercy and there is a desire for healing and the law should not be something that we use to put up as a barrier between God healing 
his people. Right? And so we've got to look at this like these men are deeply religious. This culture is deeply religious. And they've misused these Sabbath commands. And in another place, Mark 2, 27, Jesus helps us understand something. He just says something very clear. He says the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Okay? So he, he simply helps these Israelites understand that Sabbath is a gift given by God to serve the needs of man. Okay? But they, as men, as religious people, had taken the Sabbath and used it as an oppressive uh, situation in their lives that they must serve. Okay? They've gotten it backwards. God gave it to us to serve us. They think we're supposed to serve it. And so obviously that led them to just this rifling uh, through all sorts of rules. And so Jesus saying the Sabbath is for man is to say that Sabbath rest is a gift to us, not a burden to us, right? It's God's good, gracious gift to give it to us. In God's priority, his aim in giving us the command to rest is for our good because we were made to need rest. We were made in this way because we cannot preserve ourselves. We cannot sustain ourselves. And in this way, Sabbath points to something deeper and more essential to our existence. And that's the fact that we, by ourselves, cannot hold ourselves together, right? So to practice Sabbath is to submit to God's design and to give up our tendency to think that we must keep everything going, right? The, 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 the bombardment of the idea that we must hold everything together, that we have to work out everything if we're going to be good or fruitful or faithful, Right? We fall into this trap that it's all up to me and Sabbath pulls our hands as hesitantly as they are, pulls our hands off of that idea to realize I don't hold anything together. Nothing. If Literally, if Jesus stopped thinking about me, my atoms would fall on the ground. I don't hold a thing together. Right? How many times a day do you think about breathing? I do like once a week. When I'm at hockey, I'm like, <laughs> oh yeah, nose, mouth, nose, nose. gotta play, right? I mean, I don't ever think about my heartbeat. You do not hold anything together, and practicing Sabbath pulls you into realizing that reality. It helps us to relinquish the trust that we have in ourselves and place it in God instead, right? We are so prone to trust ourselves. And listen, I know you're the most trustworthy person you know. You're amazing. Nobody gets the job done like you. Right? I get it. You're incredible. If only everyone else treated life like you did. Gosh, what a wonderful world we'd be in. You're not as trustworthy as God. You're not as trustworthy as God. To practice Sabbath is ultimately to take delight in God's good gifts, right? To take delight in gifts like his creation. To delight in that. In food and drink, in friendship, in recreation. To take delight in naps. Glory to God. Naps. To the praise of his wonderful name naps I'm not in control right in the middle of the day I can just clock out it's possible and the world still keeps running it's so great oh, naps did I say naps? yeah naps uh, I'm looking forward to this afternoon leisure, music, literature art, nature, these things that God has gifted us to enjoy Sex, fun, good gifts. God says, take a time out and enjoy them. They're good. And what's even more important about this is that the truth that we don't sustain ourselves by ourselves is directly applicable to our soul's condition, right? It's not just that we don't hold our bodies together. It's not just that we don't hold this material world together. It's that we have no ability to hold our soul together. 
ultimately Sabbath points us to this reality, right? We do not sustain our own soul, right? We do not hold our salvation in our own hands. We do not preserve our faith with our work, right? All of this is eternally the work of God alone. He holds your soul. He's assured your salvation. He's the author and the perfecter of your faith. From beginning to the middle to the end, it's God. He holds you. And when you Sabbath, you worship that. You say, I'm doing nothing right now. And I'm saved by your grace. I'm doing no good work right now, and I'm your son or your daughter because of your love. I'm not reading a book. I'm not saying a prayer. I'm not singing a song. I'm not meeting a need. I'm on the couch with my eyes closed and my phone off, and I'm saved by grace. I'm held in the hands of a good father. We need Sabbath to remind us of these things because, oh, baby, are we prone to forget. And listen, I, when we don't practice Sabbath, the work that we think we have to do that starts to bleed into the stress of sustaining our spirit spirals into havoc very quickly, right? You, you think you've got to do it. You get tired because you keep doing it. You think it's up to you. You get stressed out because you're not doing enough. What do you do to respond to not doing enough? You do more. All the while neglecting Sabbath, neglecting the care of God's hands over your soul and building this self-righteous idea that you're doing it. Right? that you're holding it all together. So Sabbath is so essential to our souls. I want to get real personal and practical here in a minute, but I want to read from Colossians. Colossians chapter 2 has just a spectacular passage helping us to understand more about what God's law is for and what it's not for. So Colossians 2, starting in verse 16, I'm going to read a good chunk here. It says this, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in regards of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. Okay, so Paul here is talking about the Jewish laws. Okay, so he's saying, beware, don't pass judgment about these things. Why? Verse 17, these are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So on our topic today, the Sabbath is a shadow of things to come. Okay, Hebrews chapter 4 talks about this. You can look in there. It talks about an eternal Sabbath that is to come. And that all along the way, God has been working in Israel to try to help them understand that their ultimate rest is in Him. And that finally, one day, totally and completely, they will be at peace. They will no longer feel the burden of work. They will no longer feel the religious oppression of having to do good. They will simply be alive to God in total rest, understanding that everything is the work of God. Right? That's what Sabbath points to. It's a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So he goes on, verse 18, Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensual mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive to the world, do you submit to regulations? Quote, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teaching. These, verse 23, have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. The Pharisee or the ruler of the synagogue needed this passage so severely, and so do I, because what we're prone to do with these laws, 
right, is to try to live according to them so as to make ourselves look so spiritually elite, all the while missing the fact that it has nothing, that, that Christ's work is so totally complete that we cannot improve upon it, right? And so Paul says, listen, you can make yourself look good all day, right? You can say, I don't drink that, I don't listen to that, I don't go to that, I don't touch that, I'm always there, I'm always this, I'm always reading, I'm always praying, I'm... You can do that all day long, but you don't understand that your heart, even in the midst of that law-keeping, can still be dark and broken and far from God because you're actually rejecting the gospel by all your activity. You're just doing, 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 and through your doing, you're keeping God at a safe distance saying, no thanks, I don't need your salvation, I don't need the work of Jesus, I got my own work, dude. And man, am I polished up and cranking. So just stay on over there with your gift of grace. I'm over here with my good works. I'm partying fine. I got it. I'm holding it down, Jesus. Why rest? Why rest? I got it. I can't turn this switch off. Right? So we do this. And then what do we do? That We, we create an oppressive, an oppressive regime with these very same things. That's why you got to dress a certain way at certain places in Christianity. Or not drink certain things in certain places within Christianity. Or not go, or not, I don't know. There's a bajillion laws out there. Right? That's why I preach in t-shirt and jeans. Just in case any of us would seem to think that pastors should wear something else. Like, no. And then every once in a while, throwing a button up. Just a screw with your mind. Right? Let us not just polish up the outside and then oppressively beat down people that aren't polished like us. That's not what Sabbath is for, right? It's not what Sabbath is for. It's not what any of those laws are for. And listen, this is why we can actually enjoy the practice of Sabbath without it becoming oppressive, okay? We can know that the law is there. We can understand that the Sabbath was given as a gift to us. We can enjoy it, and if we fumble the ball along the way, we don't have to despair, right? Not going to make you show of hands, but we're fumbling the ball on Sabbath. So let's get real practical. I want to look at four aspects of a healthy Sabbath. The first is passive Sabbath. The second is active Sabbath. The third is hope-filled Sabbath. And fourth and finally, finding a rhythm. Okay? These aren't four different types of Sabbath. These are just four different aspects of Sabbath. Okay? First, passive Sabbath. Listen, you need a day where you don't offer your contribution to the forward progress of God's civilization. You need a day like that. Where by the end of the day, you look back with joy and say, I didn't give the world a thing today. And it's still cranking, right? You need that day where you're just simply pulled back. It is, a, it is an act of worship. It is a humble submission to God's design. And it will do your soul so much good because you'll begin to perceive and absorb the truth that you're not the center, that you're not the one that's holding it all together, that you're not the one that the world needs, that you're smaller than you think you are, and so on and so forth. You need Sabbath to remind you of these things. So make sure that you're working that into your life. Just a non-contribution day, right? Where you didn't give anything to the holding together of the planet. That's tough, right? In our own mind's eye, it's tougher than we think, right? It's tough. So that's passive Sabbath. Active Sabbath is you need a day where you do nothing but enjoy, take in the fruit of work without actually doing work yourself, okay? So you need to take in the benefits of your work and others' work and God's work you need to take it in actively, right, and enjoy it thoroughly, okay? This, an aspect of this is vacation, right? When you go on vacation, it's not vacation for them, the hotel, the resort, 
the boat rental, right? It's not vacation for them. It's work. Go enjoy their work, yo. Like, it's good to go to the park that was mowed by the city worker, that was planned by the engineer, that was funded through the system, right? Like, go, go freaking enjoy that thing, man. That's other people's work, and you just go take it. Go take it to sustain, to build, to enjoy, and to rest. Go actively grab the benefits of work, right? This is one of the things that God's Sabbath points us so much toward, right? Work six days on the seventh, he rests. What did he do before that? He says, man, this is good. This is good. Like if you're a project-oriented person and you did a project all day on Saturday, then you work up, wake up on Sunday, you go get your cup of coffee, and you stand in front of the project. And you're just like, the garden is planted. Oh, you know? The Ikea, the Ikea furniture was built. Yo, you know, <laughs> you just go, I don't know. I do that sometimes. I'm just like, just literally walk in and just, <sighs> you know, just like absorb the benefit of that work. Take a day and actively enjoy the fruit of work. Okay. My brother's about to come on vacation. I keep talking about this. I must be excited. And we were texting about it the other day, and they're, like, getting snowed on. School's being canceled and everything up there. I mean, it's, like, all winter long. It's been terrible. They had, like, 53 below zero last month. I mean, just insanity. And I'm just like, weather, awesome. Um, and my brother's been traveling. He's been on the road Sunday through Thursday every day since the football season started. And it's already over. So September. And it's been killing him, right? It's super hard. And he responded in the text. He said, all this work is worth it because I'm going to go enjoy my family in a beautiful place and see my brother. And I'm like, yes, yes, it's worship, right? You can go watch hockey and then baseball and then uh, one of those boat, airboat ride things and then go to the beach and bush gardens. It's going to be glorious. It's going to be worship, right? So active Sabbath. Passive, active, and then thirdly, hope-filled Sabbath. In this, you need a day where you rest in the already but not yet coming of God's kingdom, right? It's a rest that you know is beautiful but is yet incomplete. There's something about Sabbath that pulls your heart towards longing where you go, man, Right, like, and as Americans, we think about retirement. We're like, oh, man, I can't wait for retirement. Like, yeah, when your body breaks down and you have to pay a bunch of medical bills and you start stressing out because of all that, yeah, that's going to be great. Like, <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> right, like, that's what we do. We rest, and then we're like, oh, I can't wait for retirement. Like, go further than retirement. Let your heart dream bigger than that small, piddly little thing, okay? Because there is a greater rest. And resting on a day or resting on a vacation or resting whenever you're doing it should pull your heart towards the eagerness of God's coming kingdom. I know rest is nice right now, Jesus, but I cannot wait to rest in your presence. I cannot wait to be completely done with work. I cannot wait till the idea of having to earn my salvation will finally be so far from my mind that it won't even be a flicker. I'll just rest in the completed work of Jesus and I'll enjoy him forever, right? Let your Sabbath pull you into a deep longing, a hope-filled longing for that future Sabbath that God is bringing. It's a beautiful rhythm to work into your heart, right? And it helps you look at the world better you start looking at the world with less hope, right? Not like you should be hopeless in this world, but you stop looking at the things to bring you ultimate fulfillment. You begin to look at God who only can bring you ultimate fulfillment, right? It's this beautiful heart reset that we need to have. All right, and then finally, and this is going to get super practical, finding a rhythm. And this is probably the nuanced and important thing for us in uh, our new age, so to say, that I think is important to pay attention to. Uh, because let's, let's admit it, once upon a time, our world was more or less operating with an understanding of Sabbath and even honored it in many ways. Uh, but that day, in case you're wondering, is gone. Okay? Like when Industrial Revolution came and labor unions started and all that type of stuff, they couldn't figure out, okay, are we more Jewish or are we more Christian? Like, 
ah, we can't figure it out. Saturday and Sunday are off. Work week is Monday to Friday. So that's kind of, we got like double Saturday. It's like, woohoo, we got the whole weekend, right? And then our, our whole society began to function around that rhythm. Places were closed on Saturdays and Sundays and restaurants and stores and, you know, kind of lived into that rhythm and you could just count on it, right? It was like, well, when are you going to Sabbath? Well, when everybody else does, because it's easy. You know, you just fall into the pattern of the world and that was Sabbath. Well, it's gone. Like, it's completely gone, right? I mean, everything's got to be open. Seven, 24, I mean, bleh, that 24, 7, 365 baloney is just, it's just ruinous to our souls. And so now we don't just naturally fall into Sabbath rhythm. Our society does not just lend itself to, I don't even have to think about it, just Sundays is Sabbath day. Like, you just, you realize this whole world is just chugging engine and you feel caught up in it. And if you don't intentionally think and plan and then reassess and evaluate and think and plan again, you're not going to rest, Right? Then add on top of that digital rev re revolution, and we've got all the technology that we can turn on, turn off anytime. We can shop anytime. We can go anywhere at any time. We can have anybody approach us at any time, all because of this fabulous little device in our pocket, right? Which is tremendous and awesome, and it isn't the devil, but we've got to pay attention to what it does to our lives. And so, in light of this situation, we're going to have to intentionally pursue Sabbath. And so I encourage you, if you're married, do this with a spouse. If, spouse, if you're not married, uh, maybe find a friend to help you do this. Plan your life. <laughs> Evaluate your rhythms. Okay? Look at the last few months. How has things gone? How have things gone? Where are you prone to just blow through it and just keep cranking at no matter what the cost? Where, what are some things you need to subtract from your life in order to find some rest? What are some things that you could add to your life to enhance your rest? How can people help you to rest? Right? Like, Think through this stuff, evaluate this stuff, figure out how am I going to take my time out, right? When are my nights away? When are my vacations going to be? Parents, when, when can you plan for the babysitter, right? Where can you figure out these different trips? Where are you going to turn off your phone? Or just go ahead and stop the social media for a bit every once in a while. Like I said, the saber-toothed tiger, just right there in our pockets right there in our pocket. One of the greatest gifts that these phone developers ever gave us was the ability to turn off the, the notifications, okay? Some of y'all, seriously, right now, not right now, this afternoon, need to go and turn off the notifications. You do not need to know every single time somebody comments. You do not need to know every single person that likes it, okay? You do not need to know when a new friend request or an email or a text message comes through. Sometimes you've got to turn it off. Right? I'm done with the little bubble telling me how many million emails I have. I'm done with it. It's gone. Sorry if you've emailed me, if you've emailed me. Like, I'm just done with it, okay? Turning the thing off, changing all that notification malarkey. Just get rid of it. Even when you rest, you're not resting, right? No wonder we're so freaking tired. Listen, I love you enough to say go to Walmart today buy a $5 alarm, and put your dang phone in the kitchen at night. Or turn it off. You bring it into your bed, well, I need it for an alarm. No, you don't. I love you. No, you don't. Try not looking at the thing after 9 o'clock for an entire week and learn how you'll sleep better. I, it'll happen. Turn it off. I love you. Turn it off. You don't need to be, you're not the president. Even he doesn't need to be reached at all hours. Lord have mercy. Right? Help yourself. Help your marriage. Turn it off. I love you. Sometimes you need a whole day without it. For a few days without it. As much as possible in this planning and in this working, find a day a week to rest. The command in the Old Testament is after six days of, of work, take a day of rest. Okay? I understand in a lot of ways that's not completely realistic. Do as best you can to get there. Okay? Do as best you can to get there. Start to intentionally pursue. Listen, the idea that that has to be a Saturday or has to, it might not work for your world. Find a Tuesday. Tuesday is a great day. Monday is an awesome day. 
wonderful Sabbath days. Go get them. Go plan your life in that way. Figure out how to make it happen. Um, and you need also to think through the rhythms of your month and the rhythms of your quarter and the rhythms of your year, right? In some, in some of our work, in some of our industries, certain months are just more intense, right? Certain quarters are just more intense. And so maybe at the front end of that quarter and at the back end of that quarter, you got to get a weekend away. You got to make sure you recharge and get ready for those crazy three months. And then once they're done, you get away and you pass out because you need to. And then in the middle of them, it's going to be sparse, but you're still going to work the rhythm of Sabbath. You're still going to try to pursue passive and active Sabbath in there and learn to build your faith and hope in the Sabbath that is to come, right? So just evaluate those things. Uh, and obviously, in the midst of all this, we need a vacation, right? The bottom line of it is we probably need more rest than we think we do. And I have to be lead repenter here, right? Some of you know I've basically been working nonstop since December of 2017. And it's simple. And I'm sorry. I thought I had to hold my life together. I stopped trusting in God. And I started trusting in me. It's affected my marriage. It's affected my health. And it's affected you. And I'm sorry. God in his grace has not killed me yet. God in his grace is allowing things to happen to lead us to health. Um, but neglecting this has hurt. It's hurt me, right? It's hurt you. It's offensive to God. And it's not leadership. Thankfully, Jesus is so unlike the ruler of the synagogue that it's not even funny. The spirit convicts? Yeah. It's heavy? Yeah. But he's not yelling at me. He's not yelling at me. He's not saying, get the heck away from your healer. <laughs> he's saying, I'm here, and I'm close, and I'm yours. Right? So if you failed at Sabbath too, Jesus is not yelling. He's inviting you graciously, tenderly, compassionately for your good and for the good of those around you, he's welcoming you into Sabbath. He's giving you, by his grace through this passage, the reminders of what you need and how your soul care really is going to be changed when you respond in faith to his call to Sabbath. Right? It's a glorious thing when we find health in this way. And so... I want to end with Psalm 23. David wrote this, um, and I think when we think of Sabbath, it's a tremendous reminder of not just what we have now, but what we have coming, because there is a great Sabbath to come. So here it is, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And here's eternal Sabbath. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is good, and it is a gift from God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your mercy and your compassion. You are slow to anger. You are abounding in love. And even when we neglect our very own soul's health, 
you pursue us with tenderness. You reserve the angry statements for the religious hard-hearted, but for us who are tired and weary and worn and sad, you bring healing. You bring your presence. You bring joy and you bring rest. God, we are we are a people who are tired. Our country's tired. Our world is tired. It seems the cosmos are tired. <laughs> We're worn out. We're being chased by these saber-toothed tigers. We're all stressed out and anxious, and we think everything depends on us. And God, you graciously invite us into the truth and welcome us to rest. So I pray for naps. <laughs> I pray for vacations. I pray for notification silencing. I pray for phones being off. I pray for being unreachable occasionally. I pray for good planning to live well into the rhythms of our lives. I pray, God, that you would pull us down from our idolatrous spot of being the center of the universe and help us to enthrone you once again, King of kings, Lord of lords, the one who holds all things in his hands. May uh, we, through our Sabbath practice, come to worship you greatly and look forward to our ultimate rest. We love you. We need you. Please help. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.